to episode number two of But Why podcast. This one is in association with the Guide Dogs charity. In preparation for this episode, I went quite deep into the online communities of the visually impaired and realised that I really, really didn't know as much as I thought. My granny actually had glycema and went blind 20 years before she died. She was a great example of things not always being as you would expect. So while she couldn't read and um, she had to have a white stick when she was out and about, she was able to see when I got new tattoos. So it isn't as hard and fast and as straightforward as you might think. And actually this leads me nicely onto the key question of today. But why is there so much misunderstanding about visual impairment? For the first time, I've actually got three guests on this episode, each of them bringing something really different and unique to the conversation. The first is Hatal, who is blind, as is her partner, and they have three sighted children. Hatal, actually, I'm not even going to intro her properly. I'm going to let you experience it because she really was a massive, brilliant amount of energy. We had loads in common and we had to battle through some pretty dodgy internet, but I really could have spoken to her all morning. Following her is Roger. Roger is sighted, but his daughter Josie was registered blind at birth and he gives me some great insight into raising a visually impaired child and also the relationship between Josie and her sighted brother, Wolf. And finally, to finish up, I chat to the Guide Dog Association themselves, a lovely lady called Kirsty, who talked me through how they go about training guide dogs and actually explained how the charity is so much more than just providing dogs. It's a really warm episode, one that, yeah, taught me a lot about something I didn't know much about and also just gave me the opportunity to speak to three excellent humans. So without further ado, let's get talking to Hatel. How old are your kids? I'm trying to put context to what the life is that you're living at the moment. Um, I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and we have a one-year-old. <laughs> oh, we're quite similar. So I've got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, oh, I feel you. It's, it's like... It's a lot, isn't it? Yes, just a bit. I, I, I mean, it's a, the greatest gift having three kids, but it just means that there is no, there's, there's, there's no leeway, is there? There's always someone who wants something of you. Always. At even any given when moment. Even when you're sleeping. Oh, someone's, trying get, someone's trying to get something. Yeah, are you broadly getting sleep now? With a mm, well, not quite with a one-year-old, or are you? Are you getting decent sleep? I have to say, um, I used to not. Under, these people that would say to me, because I've had some terrible sleepers, and these people mm. that would say to me, "Oh, my baby woke up at two o'clock, and she was awake for an hour. I'm so tired." And I used to be like what what are you talking about that's amazing (laughs) like but then I've had my third um she sleeps through the night I'm like there's quite a few times where like I've gone over I'm like are you dead I need to check go poke her you're fine (laughs) it's these um third children although I have to warn you so I've got two boys and a girl what have you got we've got it so I've got my eldest is a boy and then I've got two girls Okay. But the third child, I was like, oh, she is the easiest, breeziest, like, third child. And as soon as she could let herself, as soon as she could talk, wow, wow. She has, she is in control of the entire house and absolutely thinks that everything needs to revolve around her. It, and I kind of admire it. I That's want this okay. To... We need strong women like that, don't we? That's cool. <laughs> we do. I took her to nursery yesterday and she asked me if I wanted to carry her crown for her. She's got had a frozen <laughs> crown on. I was like, sure, sure. I'm here to do whatever makes your life better. And if I that involves like my four-year-old, I think my four-year-old is very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Good on him. Good yes. on these strong, empowered women. Yes. So in the, in the theme of this um, podcast where we're going to be talking about visual impairment, am I right in thinking that your three children aren't visually impaired, but you and your husband are? Yeah. So my husband and I are both blind um, and we have three sighted children, which is quite interesting. Um, I mean, they don't let you get away with nothing, like <laughs> like nothing. Um, I remember this this one memorable time. Um, I've 
you know when you find a pair of flip-flops especially flip-flops and they fit well and they're comfortable you're like i'm gonna buy them in every single color okay so i have these flip-flops and they're all the same and my son was like mommy i'm very sorry to tell you you've got a white one and a brown one they don't match so i think i suggest you should go and change them go upstairs and change them oh my word of course you would because for you they they because you've bought the same pair multiple yeah. times they feel exactly the same you yeah. could have been obliviously going around with your odd shoes on and and, and i was like well jordan maybe that i'm doing a fashion statement he, went, <laughs> he was like well I don't know about fashion, but they don't look very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, are, are you? Would you rather he told you, or would you like to have been a bit oblivious? Oh, I just think it's funny. Uh, I don't, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased he, he doesn't. He doesn't. There's no hold kind back. of. Yeah. Oh, no, hold back. And pe- people say to me, "Oh, your children must be so good, so tidy, because you're both blind." No, they're not. Do you think that they take advantage of the fact that you can't see what's going on sometimes? Or, or are they I think, respectful? I think they try and fail. Do you? Yes. I think they try and fail. So like my, my son's friends, before all this kicked off, before the pandemic, they'd say to their parents, Jordan's mummy's a witch. Mm. She's caught, her eyes are broken. But she still knows what we're doing. She's a witch. <laughs> She's got to be. Do you think that your other senses are like super honed then? Or you, I guess you're just living within your reality, aren't you? So yes, whatever, yeah. whatever tools you use to parent, yeah, you know what's going on. The thing is, I always say to people, look, like I've been blind my whole life. Like I'm good at being blind. I've got this. Parenting. Well, that, that, the jury's still out on that one. Like, you know, I mean, I'm just doing the best I can, like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone out there who thinks that they are smashing parenting, I'd like to meet them because I just don't think that that is possible, is it? Oh, I'd you, like you, some of what they're on because yeah. I mean, we're, we're all trying our best. And do you know what? The thing is with kids, the moment you think that you're smashing it or the moment you say out loud that all your kids are sleeping is the moment normally it all goes wrong. You're like, oh, look, they're playing so nicely. Oh, no, they're not. They're doing something dreadful. They're drawing we on never, the wall. We never used to say the word sleep. So no. my daughter my daughter used to wake up every 45 minutes until, she, since, until she's two and a half. Oh, I'm with you. I had bad sleepers. It's hell. Yeah, we we she she turned out to have an actual issue for why that she. Oh bless her! Yeah, so everyone was like, "Do sleep training." She's just winding. She's just manipulating. I was like, "Mm, "Do you know what? Something doesn't feel right." Like, not you know, she's knackered. She shouldn't wake up yelling, like screaming. That's that's not normal. Turns out she had a brain condition. But, you know, I guess what I'm saying is we, so that's prevented. We never say the S, we we call it the S, the S word. (laughs) It's everybody doing the S word. Yes. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean, though. It's just that joke of like when you first have kids, you're like, oh, they'll sleep through by 12 weeks. No, they won't. You'll be lucky if they all sleep through by the time they're five consistently. And then, yeah, yeah, you just, you just let it go and you, you learn to function on whatever you or maybe you don't learn to function I'm just coming out of that because my yeah my youngest is three and I do look back at what is basically most of my 30s and think how much of it do I remember because it feels quite patchy to me (laughs) there's a memorable time that I I was on a school run and I I genuinely woke up on the school run and I thought oh my goodness how did I get here have I got any trousers on (laughs) How am I dressed? <laughs> Quick panic. <laughs> Talking about parts of like your normal mundane day to day life, although suddenly the school run feels appealing, doesn't it? Or Absolutely. yours, yours, no, yours speak- at home. So the first lockdown, they were at home, and so I don't think I don't know if you can imagine this. So my husband and I are both blind, and actually I don't really think about whether we can access our children's education. Turns out that we can't. <laughs> So everything that they were sending us was was inaccessible for us to, and I, and we're all we're both like my husband more technical than I, but we are both you know complete computer literate. We can try and you know rescan things, reformat things. Um, they were sending us pictures and things that we just couldn't. And my son massively struggled. Like he's meant, I would never have said before all of this kicked off that my son had issues with his mental health at all, not at all. It got to the point where 
he just his personality changed mm, yeah and so this time around I was just like I cannot I cannot do this I cannot let him down in this way and actually mm. in between times we found out that he was severely dyslexic right which I'd had inklings of mm-hmm. um, and I'd spoken to school on multiple because my, my husband's dyslexic so I was like mm. I know what I'm looking for and they were like no no he can't read because you don't have any books in your house obviously because of your situation Oh, uh, what? So what? How do you know what? So have you been to my house? Because I better get an injunction out if you've been to my house. Do people honestly try and put things like that on you? All the time. All the time. But, but it's easier for you to think, for them to, I'm trying to rationalise that in my brain, that they think it, that you're less, I don't even know what they're thinking, actually. I think they're, tr- all I can think is that that teacher, because she was a good teacher, you know, I don't want to take away, was thinking, I've tried everything with this child and he's still not, she's still struggling to read. Therefore, it must be because they don't have books and he doesn't have access to books. It can't yeah. be my fault because I'm trying everything I know. It's an easy get out for them, I suppose. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and I was like, yeah. we have lots of books. I can't read them, but we have them. Yeah, and it's also doing a disservice. To, I'm dyslexic and I've got an episode of the podcast coming out about dyslexia and it's very hard to understand from, and this I won't make this episode about that, but <laughs> there's, there's loads of things that it hugely hinders, but also it's a massive gift creatively. So provided he can find, or well, when he finds the thing that unlocks that amazing creative mind, it will be a gift. I'm sure of it. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he, him, my son, my husband is blind, no sight at all. Yeah. Um, my daughter went into hospital last week and we bought her a Barbie house because, because you need a massive piece of plastic in your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my son, who's eight, and my, my husband, who's blind, built it by themselves. Two dyslexic people just watching a YouTube video. Did they really? Yeah. With with frayed tempers or no? They must. No, they just... no. He said it was it was it was brilliant. It, you know, Jordan was he's called Jordan was really calm, and he just needed help. So he did ninety percent of it apparently, and he just didn't needed help clicking. You know, when things are a bit tricky to click yeah. into place, you need grown up fingers. Yeah, that's, that's all he needed help for. And also, if they both got dyslexic minds, they probably both know how to communicate with yeah. each other in that situation. Did, was she? Was she amazed when she came home to it? So we've always said to her, no, it's too much money. Can't have it. It's too much money, you know. And she she was like, my daughter can talk like me. She didn't talk. <laughs> so that's how I know. She was really like, gobsmacked. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. So to get into a bit of like the topic of visual impairment, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask about. Number one, this episode is in partnership with guide dogs. And have you got a guide dog? Sounds awful, but I'm currently in between dogs. So I have oh, had a guide dog. So I'm just waiting for the right dog to come along. Because again, that's really essential. So having the right dog that fits with your family, fits with your lifestyle, can well, first of all, can cope with your family yeah. um, and, and the school run and things like that. You, you need a, so, you know, I'd much rather wait a bit longer to have the right dog than... And so would would you go through like a, a process of trying out a few different ones or do you just know what you're after? No, so, so there's quite a there's quite a rigorous assessment process. You go through a, a three or four step process where you know they assess your mobility, how you're getting around now, um, what your walking speed is, kind of how aware you are of of things, how capable you are of supporting a dog if they need to be. Yeah. Um, and if I had some usable, some you know, some useful vision, then they may give me a different dog that maybe may need a little bit more visual support. But mm-hmm. I don't have any useful vision, so I need a dog that that can, that can cope with somebody who has no no sight. So that's yeah, a certain a certain kind of dog. Because I also learned during this that some dogs don't make the cut and they yeah. end up being buddy dogs, which I, it makes perfect sense. But for some reason, it's like exam day and they're not getting, <laughs> they're not getting. But also, some dogs decide that actually it's too stressful for them. Yeah, you know, and that's okay. Like you know, and they sometimes they make sometimes really good buddy dogs, or they are rehomed in a different career, or sometimes they just they they go away to be really happy pets. You know, we've got a dog who we got before before we got our kids and I, I'm very sure that if Derek could talk he would say uh, 
get me out of here. I've had a nice time, but I would like to be in a house with less children in it. (laughs) (laughs) He he tolerates them, but he was our number one. And then bit by bit, they've come and ruined things for him. So (laughs) in the research to this, I think I've I've really come to understand that one of the hugest problems for people who are blind and visually impaired is that sighted people have a huge amount of misunderstanding about it. Would you say that that's something you relate to? Yes, I would say that my biggest barrier to being a parent, because you know we're talking about parenting, is other sighted people. Things like, please don't come up to my children and say, "Are you looking after your mummy?" I mean, come on, why? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm never not astounded by people, both for the good, but also for the bad. So they think that your yeah, pretty small children are the ones in charge of a situation. Yeah. Extraordinary. And I mean, uh, you know, there was, there's, oh, we get a lot of staring, a lot of staring. Um, and what were- when you're when you're out and about, do you have a white stick or a guide dog? So yeah, so I've got a white stick, um, and my husband's a guide dog, and so, he, so we do have a guide dog in the house. He's got a guide dog. Um, so if it's just if I'm out with the kids, a lot of staring, and <sighs> like my both of my children still comment on it. My son's starting to get a little bit more. <laughs> so uh, okay, so this story is um, a prime example. I was heavily pregnant with my third daughter and I was out with my son in TK Maxx and we were talking and we were just he's like oh mummy look these are the shoes that you wear and he like grabbed a pair of hideous glittery Uggs that <laughs> I was like no no darling then they're not like I've got Uggs but I'm like well you know some people might like them but they're not my thing yeah and um and then a woman came up to you and said, look, I've been, I've been watching you for the last half, half an hour and I just want to talk to you. Uh, is it okay if I talk to your son? I was like, oh, wow. it's a, a bit weird. Okay, what? Okay. She's like, young man, I just wanted to say you are so wonderful. You should be uh. so proud of yourself for helping your mummy. You're so, I'm so, your mummy so, should be so lucky to have you. Oh, wow. And I was a bit like, you know when you're so shocked that you kind of, don't you know like and we got out the shop and he's like mummy what is she talking about um I don't help you yeah I only help you at the moment to tie your shoelaces because you can't bend because <laughs> I'm like pregnant you know there's a wider thing about that isn't there and again from my understanding of, of trying to get under the skin of disability that this though it comes from a nice place positioning anyone involved with disability or a care of someone with disability in this superhero vein really underestimates just them as ordinary people going about their lives you know your your eight-year-old of course will do things which are wonderful as a child but also I'm sure will do rascally things that that aren't so wonderful it's it's all just on a spectrum of being an average person right but yeah and I and I feel like there's this kind of kind of people this this thinking behind if you're a child that has disabled parents you must have a terrible life (laughs) and your 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 life must be really difficult yeah and we've just heard about this Barbie house that your daughter came back to so that doesn't sound that terrible to me that sounds like the dream when I was that age yeah the, the thing yeah, that... I ne- well I never got one so I'm still bitter about that <laughs> <laughs> or a bluebird kitchen or whatever it was that was my m- the, number... and a kitchen. yeah never got one never got a Mr Frosty no no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> certain era there which we're tapping into so yeah that people are coming from a place of feeling sorry for your children because of your vision impairment is that right yeah and I think that comes from you know I I was watching something on CBBC I think it was and it was about the young carers award and I had to turn off because although the those children were doing so much to help their parents I was really angry that that we're living in a society where children have to help their parents, where there's not enough funding for those parents to get the care in for themselves. So their children, right. their sh- young carers shouldn't exist. And the fact right. that they do, the fact that they do is important. I'm not knocking young carers, absolutely. But they shouldn't, what I'm trying to say, not very articulately, is that they shouldn't have to exist. 
is what I'm yes. saying. Yes, it should be a, a void thing, shouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's why that is so problematic because should making making heroes of the wrong people when it should... When actually people. we should be pointing a finger at the government and saying, actually, why are you not supporting and enabling these parents to be, be the parents they they want to be and they need to be? And why are you making sure that they, they have to rely on their children? So slightly... No, it's not off topic. It's an extension of that. I heard you on a, on a separate podcast and I think the host asked you whether like you took into account your your blindness when having kids. And I sat there and it made me feel a bit strange, actually, because, of course, becoming a parent is a, a huge deal that no one should take lightly. But mm. correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nothing that you can't do. We, we might take some workarounds, but you're as able in, in most contexts to parent as anyone else yeah well I think so I think so but society doesn't and I've had some quite difficult comments quite difficult situations both with hair healthcare professionals and you know the the members of of the public like I was I remember when I was pregnant with my son and I was it's been a really difficult day and I was coming home from work and you, you just sort of sort of zoning out a little bit on the train and um mm. someone said to me oh goodness sake I was like uh, uh, what I, I didn't really know they were talking to me because some, mm. sometimes people talk to you and you're not sure because obviously you can't make eye contact mm. so and she went oh people like you shouldn't have children <gasps> oh no I don't think people like you should have children and I was like pardon I mean she's like well you know and who's gonna pay for that like that, and I was like, uh, um, me, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm so sorry that that. I mean, it's just extraordinary. That, I mean, that happened a couple of times. That happened twice. But also, you're, you're really vulnerable when you're pregnant, like yeah. vulnerable mainly because your all your hormones are going everywhere. And actually, even with, with first, second, or third child, or any other children, you you all we're all anxious because you you until the, that baby is in your arms you don't know what what is coming your way and even then it's hard so the very last thing you need is anyone else's self-doubt piled on top of that no but also like I so I struggled with um, recurrent miscarriages and we had a, an ectopic that ruptured and I had to have emergency surgery and I, I sort of the next day because it was an emergency operation so I didn't come out of theatre until about one o'clock in the morning so the next day the, the sort of the surgeon came to see me and, you know he said how are you feeling all this sort of stuff he said you know yeah maybe it's it's kind of maybe it's for the best considering your situation I need to stop gasping I'm just so shocked that that this is like your reality yeah and and in places like that where you you need medical profession professionals to really be i don't know on side and and helping you out especially after something so awful but you know you're three kids down the line now and within reason as we've touched on you're doing it you're raising the next generation of humans right yes yeah and I think I'm doing quite a good job like and I you know I, I've, I've got I've had to learn to work around a lot of things even through this pandemic so you know the pandemic has been a big struggle for us because we've lost all of our independence because we cannot social distance I don't know how far away I am from somebody. If I take my children to the park, I can't keep an eye on how close they are to other children. Like my eight-year-old gets it, but my Mm, four-year-old still doesn't really. So then the whole going to the park is quite, it makes me really anxious. And I'm not an anxious person, Clemmy, at all. But this whole thing um, has has properly made me realise how fragile everything is yeah yeah so in that situation I guess there's two I'm projecting here two levels of anxiety one of actually getting too close to making co- like contracting COVID being we've risky had but, we've had it have you? yeah 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 same in our house um but but your the fear is that you're the social faux pas of um of going over that two, two meters feeling judged is that what is that 100%, what's making you 100 and also people are not understanding anymore there's been a massive attitude shift you know before two years ago i'd walk into somebody um 
and I'd like, I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, it's fine. Um, now, if that happens, very rarely, because I'm not going anywhere, obviously, um, people are sort of very like, oh, uh, like, you know. Yeah. And, and, I, and I get it. I get it. I don't yeah. know if they're clinically vulnerable. I, I absolutely get it. I get it. What a but strange it makes time our, we're in. It makes our word a bit, world a bit smaller, is all I can say. We're not built to spend this much time with our family. As humans, we're not built for that. No, we're not. Yeah, and and as you say, with the children, like to begin with, if well, I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. But with yeah, with my six and eight year old, socially, they really, really, really need to be with some other mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. really badly. But hopefully, that isn't too far off now. We've got to hope. I think um, realistic hope, I guess, is where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and just trying to make the best of things where we can. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm sure there will have been some positives. It's just not easy to think of them off the top of my head. What for you would look like actionable inclusivity? What What are things that, as a sighted person, you might not consider, but that might make a huge difference if you were to um, be interacting with someone who is visually impaired or blind? Ask them what they need. <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah so don't you know don't grab somebody who's visually impaired please please don't because i because i'm my reflexes are quite quick and if you grab me from behind i don't know that you're not going to mug me no of course not. you know um i mean I've, I've never hit anyone let's just i just want to clear that up <laughs> not a violent person <laughs> no no but what i'm saying is if somebody else just just don't do it just don't grab somebody and also if you if they tell you that you're they're okay believe them believe them you know so many times i'm getting off a train with my kids and i and i have a way of doing it that keeps everybody safe and then some well-meaning sighted person comes back are you okay yes i'm fine thanks are you okay oh let me help you off let me help you off and i'm just like (sighs) them touching me and throwing off my balance you know is that's an issue because I've got it all sorted. Please don't, you know, because I pull a buggy and oh, that makes people really uncomfortable. Do Pulling you? a buggy, yeah, yeah, I pull a buggy. Wow, with like scooters and well, like bags and everything else, all on yeah. it. Yeah. Superman strength. Well, maybe. Or to, no, to be fair, I'm actually quite strict. If you take your scooter out, you have to. Cut, you're you have taking to it back home. Do you know I'm what not, I would? Yeah, I'm not carrying it for you. It's probably one of the best pieces of parenting advice you could you could give to the nation. <laughs> Honestly, the moment you start agreeing to carry a scooter is the moment. They just never let go on them. And also, if you've normally got, would you sometimes go out with a guard dog and three kids? Yeah, yeah, when, yeah, always. Not not always. If you've got a guide dog, you take they go wherever you wherever you go. Goodness me, that's a that's a lot of beings and you're. <laughs> that you're responsible for <laughs> yeah it's fun I, you know I love I have to say I love being a parent um I struggled with postnatal depression with my son and then my third daughter but even though having that having that experience I still feel like my children are genuinely the best things that I've ever done yeah yeah your greatest achievement without a doubt yeah that's what's so mind-boggling about it because it's so hard but so good yeah how do we create such amazing little people i don't i don't know i don't know i'm I'm constantly astounded and actually yeah same we're in the similar boat as they like do become actual full fully fledged people now especially with my eight-year-old it's like it's jaw-dropping you're like oh wow yeah you basically you're you're done not that i'm not done parenting but you're your own person now and and I mean, not to position your your children as put them on a pedestal, but but the other side of that, having had um, parents who are visually impaired, they will be able to offer insight as sighted people into the world, won't they? And be advocates for that, which is an amazing extra skill that they have. I, I hope so. I, I think that it's a very fine balancing act if... <laughs> We've got to be careful as parents that they don't look back on their parenting as 
we had blind because I don't know how society is going to treat treat them. So mm-hmm. if they are getting bullied for having blind parents, I I I can I have to make sure I don't dismiss that. Don't to not say oh no, just ignore them. Like no, no you know I have I have to because it's going there's going to be a time when one of them's going to yell at me. I hate you because you're blind. Yeah, you know, that you is going to happen. Prepare yourself for that because yeah. it's yeah. the reality, isn't it? Yeah. And that's okay because I've said to my mum and dad, I've hate you, I hate you because you're not because you're Indian, because you're not white. And I felt so out of place in society mm-hmm. that they were the they were the people to blame. Yes, and now the- I'm like, I love have I love the fact that I'm Indian. I love the fact that I can cook Indian food and people like like that. But not when I was 14. When you're 14 and you're figuring yourself out, the thing that is isn't what you want to be. <laughs> I'm going to, it makes perfect sense. I've, I've just written a book on the same name as the podcast called, but why? And one of the, and it's answering tricky questions from kids. And one of the questions was, but why aren't I like everybody else? And I did this survey and you know, that is the thing is it as a child or a teenager, particularly, you just want to be like everyone else, but there is no everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody has got the thing that they perceive to be that makes them different, that they wish wasn't the case. And then as you get older, thankfully, hopefully, you realise that the things that make you you and you different are, the, are, the, are kind of, yeah, brilliant. But it, it is so weird that that yearning to feel conventional is, is so big, isn't it? And it's okay to feel like that. And I think we need to allow, say to our children, mm. it's okay to feel that you don't fit in that you want to fit in like you know too many times we tell our children oh yes but you're you and you're unique darling and actually what they really need to hear is I'm sorry that you feel like that I know what that feels like you know and and I I can't make it better but Mm. let's talk about how we can make you feel better what would help you I think, and maybe I'm doing a disservice to our parents' generation, but I think that's a, the massive generational shift. Like we don't, we can't quash bad feelings, difficult feelings, yeah, yeah. complex things. We can't just say, "Oh, it's all all right." No, it's it doesn't feel all right. And in time, hopefully, as you get older, you will shift. But yeah, just trying to put things neatly in a box or, or sweep them under the carpet is so wrong. Well, and that. Yeah. Is- but that, that teaches our children to ignore their instincts when they feel wrong. And that's really quite worrying if we're teaching our children it's all right to not feel okay and don't do anything about it. It's so true. And I think, yeah, I mean, this would just turn into a therapy session, but tuning out of that, <laughs> I, I'm a really big believer in the um, power of your instincts Mm, and and if you have those dialed out of you and you learn to second guess what you're feeling or your instincts you really end up in a in a no man's land and actually the best thing we can all be in this world I believe is the truest most authentic version of ourselves which involves listening to your instincts but it also involves looking at yourself quite carefully and saying do you know what that isn't a good part of me mm. that that the way I behave in that situation that isn't okay and it's about not beating yourself it's up it's about being honest with yourself and we've all got bits of ourselves that perhaps aren't okay but that makes us but as you know as long as we don't are are not are honest about them I think it's okay you're saying all the saying all my favorite (laughs) things I couldn't I couldn't agree more and actually the pair no but I think well again it's looping back to loads of things I've just recorded an episode about um, like depression and mental health with Matt Haig and you saying that you struggle with postnatal depression and I've definitely had a fair few really dodgy patches of mental health. But actually, once you've stared a bit into the abyss, it's, it's really grounding to go, okay, yeah, this is what the really tricky stuff looks like and how do I learn to... I don't know where I'm going really, but it, it, I think it's quite good to get to the to the edges of stuff and then be appreciative of, of the, the good bits and know that you have pulled yourself back. And I don't know. Well, I, I like I know my some of my mental health postnatal mental health things were to do with breastfeeding, um, and people like, I was struggling to breastfeed with my son, and you know he anytime I you know I was this hippie 
like I'm not a hippie, but when it came to birth, I wanted home births. Mm-hmm. I wanted to breastfeed. I did get two home births. Um, yeah, I had two home births. I love home births. Anyway, uh, that's another another thing. Another yeah, topic. <laughs> um, but but you know, I was told categorically this isn't working because you can't see your baby and your baby can't see you. We have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. The reason we couldn't breastfeed had nothing to do with me and it had everything to do with a condition that my son had called torticollis. So, and he had a tongue tie. We had that snip though. Um, He couldn't get into the positions he needed to, to be able to feed because it was uncomfortable for him. Right. So. And we didn't discover that until about five months. And so he never would have been able to breastfeed. So oh, was it, did you have, was it painful for you or it just didn't? I mean, I, I, he just wouldn't latch. I just couldn't get him to latch. And I know it had nothing to do with blindness because, all oh, right. And I, like I rented a hospital grade pump and all these sorts of things. Um, and my husband put a stop to it all. When you? I was pumping, I was pumping and I was exclusively pumping and I fainted <laughs> at the pump. Oh, bless you. And he was uh, like, no, no more. But as we touched on, like when your hormones are raging, you're sleep deprived, like your rational mind absolutely goes out the window. Like now when you talk about that time, you could go back to yourself, I imagine, or I know for myself, assisting with breastfeeding when it wasn't really working for us, um, just to go, it's okay, but you just get so focused on on well, a thing. My, well, my thing was I was born 16 weeks premature, Clemmy, and having had children, I now get, oh, my God, my poor parents. And now get that, right? That's Growing so up, funny. I was like, oh, whatever. How can you still have trauma from that? That's ridiculous. But ob- obviously, I was uh, insensitive. <laughs> well, you didn't I'm painting, my, my painting myself out to be quite nice, but no. But now, having had children, I'm like my, my mother, my poor mother, you know. Um, anyway, so my thing was I couldn't – my mum couldn't breastfeed me. I'm determined to breastfeed my children. I want better for them. I want better for them. That was the only thing in my head. Um, mm. yes. so, you know, for me, it was, there was bigger things, things. And then, then when it didn't work, oh, oh, other people can do it. Why can't you do it? You must be useless. You know, all these things that we just yeah. tell ourselves and damage yeah. ourselves as women. Yeah. It's, these, um, these comparisons to something that doesn't really exist. And, and also, this is me projecting my own thing it's such a confusing time that you're so desperate to prove to yourself that you are capable of it that that you mm-hmm. you absolutely fixate on it and then with confidence and time yeah we all get we all do this journey in the way that we do it and it's muddling through I had had so many people tell me that it was I wasn't going to be able to do it because I couldn't see uh, not so breastfeeding, but just in general. Parenting. Yeah, I mean, I'd go for my antenatal appointments and they would ask me questions like, how are you going to know if the baby's choking? How are you going to help them with their homework? I'm like, it's still in my stomach. What? And so, and no, no parent knows the answer to that, do they? Like, no. We're all, we're all winging it and we're all making it up as we go along and we're all trying our best and it... <laughs> Yeah, you just wouldn't drill a, a, a sighted person. And the answer is, how do I help them with the maths homework? I cannot because I do not understand it. The maths is, <laughs> is different to when we would. It's very it. different. Things have changed a lot. And actually, that is a very nice segue to what is my my last question. So as I mentioned in the book, it's um, answering tricky questions from kids. And I have a section that runs through it, which is what do you wish you'd known as a kid? What would be your nugget of information? Gosh, um... Uh, that people like you more than you think they do. Yeah. It's such a um that's very powerful, isn't it? I'm I'm a, a very emotional Pisces, so I can't really hear things like that without wanting to cry because it's so true. You um we're all desperate to be liked. I want to give you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very emotional. And as you know, I've had quite a stressful morning with this technology. Um, but do you think that you need to learn to like yourself first? I think the only way sometimes, not always, that you can like yourself is to know that people like you for who you are now. 
I told you she was brilliant. She really was. Um, and actually, her tale's got a podcast of her own coming out soon. So keep your ears open for that. Next up is Roger. Through my work, I have the pleasure of speaking to many mums about their experience of motherhood. However, I don't often get to talk to dads, which is why I found speaking to Roger so humbling. He was really open and emotional and his insight into parenting his two children was really heartwarming. We have been on a real voyage of discovery, I would say, Um, and it is still a picture that continues to emerge because Josie doesn't have an eye problem. Um, Her eyes actually work okay. Um, It's the parts in her brain that deal with the information that the eyes receive and sort of cobble it all together to like a picture that we see at the back of our head, apparently. So um, she has something that is understood in some medical circles, but only a few, but it isn't really widely sort of understood or acknowledged. It's called cerebral visual impairment. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's basically, she had brain damage uh, and the, the areas of the brain that were damaged uh, deal with, deal with processing vision. So it's only really in the last couple of years that that's kind of been formally diagnosed. And before that, we just didn't know what was going on. We just knew that she didn't see things like everyone else did. But I, I guess as she's become more articulate, yes. she's able to to kind of maybe explain things a little bit. So she had a stroke on day one. So about just under sort of 24 hours from when she was born, she wow. uh, had a stroke and, uh, we went she, we sort of didn't really know what was happening and so anyway she was in intensive care for quite a lot quite a while and uh we didn't really know what was going on and the doctor didn't know what's going on and i think they don't really want to give you any hope uh in you know the bleakest possible way you know um so she it was touch and go and they weren't sure whether she would live and they weren't sure whether she would walk or talk or see we just had to sort of wait and see well you know it was really it still is emotional um and yeah. i mean that's quite a quite a long uh, you know that's again it's a lot it's a long journey eventually you know she started to make sounds we're like yes uh and she started you know rolling and crawling and standing and then taking steps and like, <laughs> yes and we knew there was something not quite right about her vision but we were literally like you know well we'll take that you know over yeah you know not being here or you know being really severely um limited um and i mean she is a bubbly gregarious adventurous lovely little human being um and she doesn't know any different so you it's difficult having you can't really put yourself in her shoes because you you, you just don't know what she sees um and the problem that we faced was i think because this isn't really very well understood and because Josie wasn't able to sort of say, oh, you know, well, I used to be able to see the buses go by and now I can't, you know, medically, we just had a really bleak time. It was, we didn't really get any information. Nobody was really pulling anything together. We saw neurologists, we saw um, pediatricians, we saw neonatologists at the beginning. Um, we saw specialists in kind of, you know, development, um, we saw ophthalmologists and the trouble was, was her eyes, her eyes generally work. Okay. She does have some slight, she has, she says she has a a squint that goes out, um, on one side. Um, but one of the difficulties is, is if you looked at her, you would think, well, it's a normal child. And she wears glasses because just correct a very small visual, um, 
deficit in terms of um, short-sighted. And I think the general perception is, oh, if she's got a visual problem, you just give her some glasses, she'll be okay. Um, and I think the neurologists that we saw, who were, I mean, lovely people, wonderful people, um, they were like, well, it's, it's vision and we don't really do vision, we do, you know, the brain. And the ophthalmologists we saw were like, well, it's not the eyes, is it? It's the brain. And so we, wow. we, were, we weren't, yeah, we did slip through the net. We really did. That's, that's, that's spot on. I think Josie sees a very, very different world to what we see. Um, so, for example, one of the things, the, the condition that she has, it, it's, um, it's more like a collection of things. So no one really has the same experience of it but um there is there's a group of a group of sort of symptoms that seem to be quite common so she doesn't she doesn't use her eyes together um and she has a dominant she has a dominant eye so so she doesn't you have binocular vision which basically means she's not seeing in 3d so her her depth perception is really poor so for example if you're holding something up in front of her, like a piece of paper, she's qu- not quite sure where it is. Mm. And you think about that. I mean, the world is 3D, isn't it? She doesn't see. Um, so stairs, absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. She, and when you, we, we ask her, "What does it look like?" She says, "Looks like a ramp." Mm, so we oh, have at home, know, at home we've, we've got tape bright yellow and black tape on the edge of all the steps and corners and things like that and that makes it difficult because when you go to a when we used to be able to go to for example a friend's house we can't just send her around there you have to go around and you have to take her around and say right yeah do you see this step here here's the stairs. do you see this step here here's a drop you know there's a step down into their kitchen do you see this here once she's logged yeah. it great and if she goes back she'll remember everything but we'll take her to a new place yeah. It's particularly we went to one place where they had um sort of paving slabs, you know, on this sort of outdoor courtyard area. It it then went into steps with the same material. And now, you know, you and I would be able to see that there was a difference. And she couldn't. She just flew down, oh. you know, just running. So she thought it was just flat. The other couple of things which again I blows my mind, she can't uh see moving things. Um so we were once in a car park and uh, I said to her, Josie, which cars are moving? She said, I don't know. We were on our little lane that we live on, which is quite quiet, but cars do come up and down it. And a car, a car came, was coming towards us. And I said, Josie, is that car moving or is it still? And she looked at it for a long time and she said, it's moving. I said, how do you know? She said, well, I look at the wheels and if the middle of the wheel if it changes, I know the car's moving. The final thing that she really struggles with, which I think, again, blows my mind, is she doesn't see facial expression. Now, how that works, I just don't, I can't understand how that happens. But she said to my wife the other day, because she, re- she, she reads a lot, we have to modify everything, but she, 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 re- she likes to read, um, which might sound strange if she's got a visual impairment, but with, with the right... Um, technology or the right sort of format of things she she can and she said mommy what does rolling your eyes mean again with with my son her brother i have little you know winks and raising eyebrows and this sort of thing and if he's doing something he'll look at me and i give him that little look and he stops it you can't do that with her it's it's all auditory with her um, in terms of that and so that goes into education in a classroom where you know if you're not sat right at the front and you can't see what's happening and you can't see when the teacher says okay i want at the end i want it all to look like this well just doesn't know what this is doesn't know where this is and so there's so much of that that we discovered that she's missing out on you briefly touched on and this whole episode is in partnership with the guide dog so you you have a do you have a guide dog so we recently have uh what's called a buddy dog which is a kind of a companion dog through through guide dogs so uh she 
didn't quite pass her very, very tough, stringent guide dog um, <laughs> tests at the end. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but we think she's a winner, you know. Uh, so we just, we've, we, we got her in November, so we haven't had her, her, her very long. Um, and she's just fantastic, just fantastic. Just exactly who you would want around in terms of a dog. And so really she's a great talking point um because one of the one of the problems that Josie has faced again that she doesn't come home from school saying I'm socially isolated you know that's what really was happening at school because she kept tripping and bumping into people in the playground in years in year zero in reception she played inside at playtime we didn't really know this um and you know I think some children do want to play inside but she, she didn't she wanted to be outside um and actually again through i mean getting this the, the buddy dog flora who is absolutely gorgeous and josie loves her to pieces um that is the end of a really long beautiful journey with guide dogs who which started with me calling them from a, a coffee shop in london uh when i was when i was working there because we'd had a weekend where some family friends had come a couple of years ago and they bought this old sausage dog who, uh, who was a bit annoying to be honest, but um, <laughs> all JC wanted to do was hold it's the lead. Great. She wanted um, to hold the lead when we were walking and she also wanted to hold the lead just when we were at home. And I just thought, you know, guide dogs and maybe she'll... I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't know. So I found the number that I found online and uh, just spoke to someone and said, you know, here's my daughter. She was, I think she was maybe five or five or six at the time. Um, and I said, you know, I don't know. Did, can she have a dog? Like what, how does, how does this happen? You know, she's visually impaired. We don't fully know what's going on. And uh, it was glorious because I mean, I think I touched on it earlier that we were just lost and it was bleak and we just didn't know what was going on. And we really felt like we had to paddle upstream for the whole to get her any help or any recognition. And uh, it was like a crack team of experts suddenly kind of took us under their wing and I just remember this lovely woman I spoke to and she said, okay, if it's okay, I'm going to pass your number on to a couple of my you know, colleagues and, and they'll be in touch. Oh, great. Okay. And over the next few weeks, I had this series of really helpful phone calls with various different members of the sort of guide dogs, young persons team. And they followed me up and they put me in touch with other people and they followed me up and everyone was talking to each other. I never had to explain my story again. Um, and we're now in a position where, you know, they basically tailored all the help to us specifically. They made us feel like we're not alone. We've wow. been on um, various different activities, which might sound a bit naff, but they're brilliant because yeah. we went to this Christmas party, um, not this recent Christmas, Christmas before, no. which is in Bristol near where we live. And my wife just said, oh, as soon as we walked in, she was like, great, now we can relax. Because we know. Yeah. That they've everything thought of in there, they've thought of everything. We don't need to uh, worry about steps. We don't need to worry about her being involved in any games. Because guess what the games that generally people play at birthday parties? Oh, they play all. musical chairs, you know, and what, Josie can't play musical chairs. So she's never won musical chairs, you know, um, and they, they often have a, a magician um, at birthday parties. Well, Josie doesn't get any of it. She can't see things no. disappearing or coming. But at all the guide dogs events we've been to, there's often a magician and they are doing visually impaired magic. And she loves it. She loves it. She's got her own magic set at home. She comes and does tricks on you all the time. It's amazing. And everyone in that room understands her 
it's it's amazing oh it's, it's glorious so they changed our life they absolutely changed our life and i think we 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 associated guide dogs with guide dogs yeah. but actually so much it's, more only, than that. it's only recently that we we have a bug dog and i mean josie may may have one we, we we don't know because she's going to become more and more independent and i think if a guide dog helps her independence then that's that's something that we'll look at in the future but as it stands we have this wonderful buddy dog but even before that they just you know i love them yeah. I absolutely love them. It, it, it and, and often charities can be very well-meaning but not get it right and be a bit disorganized it's a it's a smooth operation it's amazing Um, they are amazing we had help from these so many different people and it was just what we needed it was caring love those guys and lastly but by no means leastly Kirsty, um, who is an amazing advocate for the guide dog. She's worked for the organisation for years, as have most people who work there, which speaks volumes for how wonderful they are. She really gave me a great insight into how the training process works for guide dogs, but also enabled me to come back to the key question of why there is so much misunderstanding about vision impairment. My dad went blind when I was a child, so um, I formed a career, you know, in in sales and marketing and services, actually, originally. And then I kind of almost had this epiphany moment when I was 30 where I thought, do you know what? I want to use all of these skills I've got, but do something that for me would have more of a purpose, really, and and add more value to other people's lives. That's how I I came to Guide Dogs. And 16 years later, I'm in the role of of Director of Service Development. And yeah, it's just such a blessing. So speaking to Roger yesterday, it was a real eye-opener whenever I did that, that. I mean, of course, it is about Guide Dogs, but the service is so much broader than that, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot of people don't always recognise the breadth of the services that we do, and particularly for um, the amount of people that we do. Because, you know, as an organisation, we want to be there for people, children that are born with a vision impairment from birth, right through, you know, to the very end of life, really, for, for many people. And our guide dog is iconic, and it is a truly wonderful service. But we do so many other services as well. So, you know, we've got volunteers that go and take people out with a vision impairment to be able to go out and do things in their community. But our children's services, they really that really is an holistic offer from everything from family support, um, education support. You know, we've really embraced the whole changing technology over the last 10 years and we provide grants for parents and children so that they can access technology, you know, right through to, um, we call them rehabilitation workers so they are our specialists and we've got an amazing team of specialists within the organization where they teach children um, the skills for life whether that's about you know being able to get around really easily how to um, learn new skills because most children learn 80% through visual cues so you know if you think about a child when they watch their parent and that inspires them to crawl to lift their head to move if they've got none of those visual cues, then a lot of those concepts that drive movement are not in place. So, you know, our specialists will work with children to be able to support that child to develop um, in the right way. I also want to actually know a little bit more about guide dogs themselves, how they, how you begin to train them, the history of the guide dog, and is it always Labradors? That's all, all like the image I've got in my head. <laughs> Yeah, we get all those questions. So it's our 90th year, coming up to our 90th year. So we've been around a long time. And uh, the original guide dogs actually were German Shepherds because uh, the organisation... Yeah, 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 very much so. And the organisation was born on the back of um, veterans being blinded in war. And uh, that's kind of where, you know, our story started. But over time, that's obviously evolved. And, um, you know, it went from being not just veterans, but people um, that were blind or visually impaired. And um, the service has grown and grown and grown. And we use a whole different host of dogs. You know, we use, obviously, our iconic 
Johnny. Dog is always the Labrador. Very often we use um, crosses, Labrador, and retriever crosses. We have German Shepherds. We have German Shepherd retriever crosses. And what we're always looking for is the, I suppose, the traits and personality and behaviours that are very. Um, I suppose conducive to being a really great guide dog because you've got the guiding techniques um, and the dog's ability and confidence to be able to make decisions and uh, navigate certain areas. I mean, the dog's always um, directed by the person with sight loss. One of the misconceptions is that the dog tells the person when to cross the road or, you know, and that is absolutely not what happens. Um, yeah, yeah, I read so, that on a couple of blogs about people saying, uh, like, guide dogs aren't sat-navs. It's such a, a weird misconception that these dogs know the way to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And people think that, you know, the dog's kind of telling the person um, where it's going. And, you know, the dog's under instruction. And so, obviously, uh, we, we train the dog and we train people with sight loss how to work well with their dog. And that really is a partnership, you know. And uh, the, the, the dog is always taking cues from the guide dog owner about, you know, certain routes that it goes on regularly. Um, I mean, obviously, the dog, what we train the dog to do is stop at a curb, stop at doorways, anything where there is either a, a, a risk or um, where the guide dog owner needs to be aware that something's coming, then the dog is trained to do all of those things. Um, but yeah, it's very much under instruction from the guide dog owner. And we've got loads of breeds that we use. You know, historically, we've we've tried um, lots of different breeds because one, one of the biggest challenges, I suppose, that we've got is we're the world's biggest breeder of dogs. You know, within our guide dog community, we've got 8,000 dogs on the go at any one time. Wow, what a fact. Yeah. It is. It's huge. And we're breeding between 1,100 and 1,200 puppies a year. So, you know, that's quite a big undertaking. So we have to, we're constantly looking for, you know, different breeds, the best traits. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting world to work in. I've just written a book um, about answering tricky questions from kids and one, a couple of them about disability. And the big thing is mm. to not make assumptions. Don't like, if you don't yeah. know the answers, don't fill in the gaps on what you think yeah. a, a situation is or how capable someone is or isn't. And also, of course, there is no one size fits all solution. Someone visually impaired is different from the next person, from the next person, from the next person. And, it, it, you know, anything that lumps people together is problematic, I think. What is important to one individual is completely different to somebody else. And that's the same, whether it's a parent phoning out information line for the first time or whether it's somebody that, you know, wants information about one of our services. We really want to know what is important to them. And, you know, every, every, every situation is different, you know, and, and it stops us making assumptions as an organisation, but it also enables us to make sure we meet the needs of that person sooner rather than um, trying to assume a lot of things. So, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. And I was going to ask you what a couple more questions before the end. Number one, what do you think um, actionable change looks like for people with visual, visual impairment? What could we all be doing better or society, whichever way you want to frame it? I think um, one of the biggest things is, like you said, not jumping to conclusions or making judgments around, um, you know, what their life is like, you know, and encourage people to have conversations and just ask the question. Actually, you know, if you speak to most people with a vision impairment, they would prefer people just ask rather than made assumptions. I think as a society, let's be as inclusive as possible. Um, one of the challenges with um, inclusivity is, you know, if we think about buildings and um the like very much they're like physical changes that happen to enable somebody with a wheelchair to have access but when somebody with a vision impairment um, needs access sometimes they need the scenario to either describing to them or even when it's safe to do so offering sight a guide um, if you can see somebody with a you know a guide dog and their handle is down or you can see somebody with a white cane and they look like they need support you know don't go up and grab them but certainly make yourself known and ask mm -hmm. them and just 
really engage with people, uh, you know, and, and trying to break some of those barriers down. Very sadly, you know, when people have a guide dog, they will say that the biggest um, or one of the biggest positive impacts is that all of a sudden people will talk to them. Mm. And I think people with a white cane um, historically have felt, felt quite left out of society. And the biggest challenge is people just don't know how to approach them. Yeah. And just speak, you know, just just be normal around around them and just have a conversation like you would anybody else. Thank you so much for a really eye-opening and really warm conversation. I feel no wonder you've worked for them for so long because nowhere else is really going to compare. It's like doing work that changes people's lives. That's the one. It's a blessing, really. You know, it's. Uh, I think if anybody has had a life experience and they can use that to help other people, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's a place I'd definitely recommend being in. Uh, my day of working in the corporate world, yeah, I don't miss it at all. No, a million miles away. Well, thank you so much for your time and, yeah, sharing some of your experience. Oh, no problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been uh, a pleasure. And the internet Thank has you. broadly, broadly played the game. One little dropout when I was talking about baby beans, but um. And that's it. Three wonderful conversations, which I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I'm constantly blown away that this podcast gives me the opportunity to speak and learn about things that might otherwise not have come up in my life. I realised that yes, I am one of those people who had misunderstanding about vision impairment. I don't think I was under the illusion that blindness equals darkness, but I think I might have been tempted to try and swing in and help someone with a white stick maybe unnecessarily so I'll definitely think twice about trying to read the situation and of course if help is needed stepping in but not just doing it for the sake of it. Wow the guide dogs really are an amazing organisation they do so much more than I had possibly realised and yes I keep laughing to myself about the fact that people think that guide dogs are sat-navs. They're not. They're not dogs. It's still the human (laughs) that is guiding them. Who knew? Anyway, I'm rabbiting on. I hope you found it informative and interesting. And if you know anybody who could do with the resource that guide dogs offer, please do send them their way. So that's it. That's another episode done. Thank you so much for listening. Please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your mates all about it. And as ever, I welcome your feedback at butwhy at clementelford.com.